So uh, the rest of us are going to uh, look at uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. That text is in the bulletin, uh, also up on the screen uh, behind me. So this, as it, I don't know when you came into the service. Uh, if you were here at the beginning, you would have noticed that our call to worship was in different languages. Um, uh, uh, Partly because that's what Pentecost is all about. The gospel uh, is a universal language, right? Um, uh, but the other thing is, for many of you, you know, uh, you've probably never thought much about Pentecost, and you grew up in a church that uh, 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 probably didn't talk about Pentecost, and in fact, uh, thought it was weird, <laughs> and <laughs> and and didn't didn't want to recognize it as. Uh, something, and then some of you grew up in churches where it, it was Pentecost every day, right? <laughs> so, so the 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 fact is, uh, we're going to look at it this morning to kind of understand a little bit about uh, what the point of this is and and why um, uh, why the Lord is doing this. So, in in light uh, of uh, that, let me pray now and ask for the Spirit that uh, descended at Pentecost. Uh, to continue his work in us today. Let me pray. Lord, we come to you and we confess uh, that we uh, have not taken you at your word. You said that without you, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, uh, we are so grateful this morning that you have given us your spirit so that we are able to believe, we are able to do, uh, and we are able to follow you. Um, I pray that you would help us uh, today to take joy in the fact that uh, you did this thing on the uh, Feast of Pentecost so many years ago uh, to demonstrate and to show to us your reign, your glory, and uh, your presence uh, with your church. And so bless us now as we think through these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. And visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine, which is interesting because I, I know of no case where alcohol actually helps people speak more clearly. <laughs> right? It's usually generally has the uh, opposite effect, I, I think, right? So, uh, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. 
For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so, as I mentioned earlier, we started out the worship service this morning, having the uh, call to worship read to us in a variety of, of different languages of the folks Uh, who live and worship in and around this community. And one of the things that's true about that, it's really wonderful to hear the word of God in other languages. But the other thing that's true about it is if you were an English speaker and not a Portuguese speaker, right, uh, you might, uh, you would have no idea what was being said, right? If we hadn't projected the words up there, it would have been it would have been maybe you're kind of a, a language person. You would have thought, well, that sounds really interesting, but you don't have a clue. Not really what's being said or what's being uh, read. So it would have been hard for you to have argued with it, but it would have also been hard for you to agree with it, right? It was, you just, you don't know, you know, that sounds interesting. Um, so one of the things that you have to note about uh, uh, speaking a different language or being in a culture where a different language is being spoken, it is something that's alienating and dividing, right? Uh, uh, I had friends years ago who uh, uh, went to um, uh, South America for uh, to, to uh, preach the gospel there. And one of the things that they said was waking up every morning with the realization that they wouldn't hear a single word of English all day. Every day, right? That would be a challenging thing, wouldn't it? So just imagine if you're here in America and you don't speak a word of English or whatever the language is that we speak here in America, right? Uh, that, you don't, that you don't hear uh, a single word written, you don't see it, or you don't hear a word spoken in your own language day after day after day after day. It'd be, it'd be pretty incredible, wouldn't it? It'd be alienating, dividing. Um, so when, uh, when my daughter finished her freshman year in college, she felt the call of God to go to the mission field in Myrtle beach. And, um, uh, with her, uh, campus group, campus outreach. And so, uh, they uh, put those kids up in hotels. They got, they got them jobs and they, uh, when they weren't working, they were preaching the gospel, uh, to folks there at the beach. The good jobs went to the people that worked at Walmart and Chick-fil-A. The less than good jobs went to those at McDonald's. McDonald's at the beach early in the morning. You ever been there? There's a reason why some of you haven't been there. And there's a reason why some of you have been there early in the morning. Um, uh, And so she uh, would get up put on her uniform, put on her name tag, and go to work. Now, one of the things that was true of often of her shifts there at the McDonald's in Myrtle Beach was that uh, there weren't a lot of English speakers. 
and there were women there that she worked with who were speaking to one another in their language. They could understand one another. And it becomes clear to uh, Madeline as she's working there that she uh, knows their language and she knows what they're talking about and they're talking about her. And not as Madeline was taught in our home, use your kind words. (laughs) Right? So, you know, it's funny how Language like that functions with us, right? That it is a thing that can unite us. Just imagine if you haven't, if you're somewhere and you haven't heard a single word of English and you're an English speaker for days and weeks on end and then you hear it, how, how awesome that would be, right? But at the same time, just imagine, uh, the, the difficulty and the challenge that you would have of, um, trying to learn that language, trying to, to get up to speed so that you can tell what's going on around you. Now, what we have here, and one of the things that you have to see about Pentecost, and one of the, the great things that is that God is doing here, is the things that we tend to use to divide ourselves up, like language, uh, God levels all of that here at Pentecost, right? The fact is that our languages were uh, uh, given to us as a result of our sin and rebellion. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But the fact is what God does here because of the gospel, because of the work of Jesus Christ, because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, what happens at Pentecost is that thing, language, which divides us, that separates us, that makes it impossible for us to understand one another, God for those uh, does there by pouring out his spirit, enables all those people from Rome, and from Turkey, from Greece, from all over the world to be able to hear the gospel proclaimed in their own language and not only in their own language, as we'll see in their own dialect, right? And so what, what Pentecost does is it not only enables the church to proclaim the gospel, but it enables the church to recognize that the work of God here is to make one new, new body, one new church, one new uh, person, uh, and that these divisions, these things that tend to divide us are wiped out in the gospel, even the division that seemed, would have seemed, you know, to these people insurmountable. And that is the, uh, uh, the division, the dividing line of language, right? They didn't have Google Translate or, or any of those things, right? So this is a pretty profound thing for us to think about. So let's take a few minutes this morning and look at, see what, what God's doing here. So what we note is, is that the, the feast of, of Pentecost comes 10 days after the ascension, right? Now, that's important. That's an important de- detail for us to get because just imagine, right? So think back in your mind, back to April 21st, right? Probably for many of you, you have no idea what happened that weekend. Well, it was Easter, <laughs> okay? So go back there in your mind. Think about that. On that weekend, you saw Jesus falsely accused, beaten, killed, raised from the dead. And so over this period of time, you've interacted with him, you've you've seen him, you've had an opportunity to stick your fingers into his nail prints, you've talked with him, you've eaten with him, he's come and taught you over this period of time. And then, 10 days ago, he ascends into heaven. Now, think for a minute. What are those 10 days like? 
Think about that. Uh, think, think about the fact that, you know, you would, you would be like, what a, what a crazy ride you have been on since, uh, the 20, 21st of April to this moment. And then Jesus comes back. Just imagine how sad you were, how elated you are. And now for 10 days, he's been gone. 10 days he's been gone. 10 days. Haven't heard from him. Haven't seen him. And, you know, one of the things you could say is, well, you know, they were just sitting around waiting for the spirit to come upon them. Well, 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 well maybe they were. But I, I my, my guess is that they had uh, that they were waiting for something to happen, certainly. Uh, and they were hoping that something would happen. But for 10 days, they just wait. And then suddenly they're at this feast as they're gathered together. It says that they were all gathered together in one place. Uh, probably at this point in time, not just the 12, but about 120 or so um, uh, of, of, of the Christians, uh, of all the Christians that are in the world. There they are. Uh, people from all over the world are coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit comes upon them in physical manifestations like a rushing wind. And then tongues of fire come and settle upon all of them together in that room. And then there are spiritual manifestations of the Spirit as well. The gospel is spoken and heard in as many different differing languages at once as there are people there, right? And so uh, it's a it's a it's a pretty profound thing that's happening here. I mean, it's not not just a not just a miracle of speaking, but also a miracle of hearing and a miracle of understanding, right? It's a pretty dramatic thing, and this is a necessary thing for the disciples. And I think in many ways, this might have been the formative event for them, just as informative, uh, just as, as, as formative to them as the death and resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus is the fact that now that Jesus has ascended, you, you, we don't see him. We don't hear him the way in which we used to. But the fact is, because of this dramatic thing that he does here at Pentecost, all of a sudden we know he's real. He's reigning and all of these things that actually happened are actually are coming to fruition in our lives. Right. And so there's a validation here uh, that Jesus really is uh, who he said he was. Right now. What what is Pentecost? Well, Pentecost actually was called the Feast of Weeks. And it was a harvest festival. Right. Where the people of God gathered together to celebrate the beginning of the wheat harvest. Now. You know, for for many of you who are not agricultural, which is 99.9% of you, you may think, why in the world would you celebrate harvest in May or June? Well, I can tell you, if you want, if you want to, if you want to find out about that, get in your car today, drive down Interstate 64, get off on uh, exit, uh, I think it's 220, it's Route 33 East. And start driving east. And you know what you'll see after a few miles? You'll see wheat fields. And you know what color they're going to be? Not green. They're brown. They're ready to be harvested. <clears throat> Isn't that amazing? That, that uh, on Pentecost, just as they celebrated in the Old Testament, the beginning of the wheat harvest, the same thing is happening uh, here among us, right? So it's the beginning of the harvest. It's the celebration that there is a God who loves us, who sees us, who supplies our need, who who gives, who who makes bread grow out of the ground, right? Who gives us uh, uh, food to eat, right? What a what a what what a great thing that is! And God is being very practical here because think about this for a second. There's only 120 Christians in the whole world at this point, at the beginning of this chapter. 
Only 120. Only 120. About as many people in these two sections right here. That's it. The whole world. All the Christians in the world. And by the end of the chapter, they're going to be 3,000. Right? What a, what a powerful thing that God chooses to pour out his spirit and to do this great proclamation of the gospel when as many people from as many different corners of the world are gathered together to be able to see and to hear the powerful work that God has done in Jesus Christ, right? So what does it all mean? Well, let's look at that for uh, a little bit. So so devout people, that is uh, all, people who are ethnic Jews and people who are proselytes, people who were not ethnic Jews but were, were believing in the God of the Old Testament, devout people from every nation under heaven, they come to see the commotion and hear the great work of Jesus Christ in their own language. It's a profound thing. This is, this is something that is this super dramatic. Now, one of the things that I think is, is funny about this is, is when they gather together there, they say, wait, I'm hearing the word of God in Latin from a Galilean. Now, you hear that and you don't, you don't think any, anything about that. It wouldn't be not unlike saying, wait, I'm hearing classical Arabic from a redneck from Southside. Hope that's not offensive, or maybe it is, but <laughs> I, I hope I hope that that's what you get here. Because they, they, they don't say we're hearing it from other Jews. They're saying we hear it from Galileans, you know. And Galileans, you know, how, how, how do they know that they're Galileans? Well, I, my guess is, uh, that they speak uh, Arabic with a Galilean accent. You think you might think that's funny. Remember, just a few weeks earlier, you know, when Peter follows Jesus into the to the court of the uh, high priest, where there is um, the the trial of Jesus, the people there say, "Wait a minute, you were with him, and I know you're with him because you're a Galilean." How did they know he was a Galilean? Did he have it tattooed right here? No, he had an accent. He talked like he was from Galilee. Accents used to be a big thing in America. They still are a little bit. Uh, but because of the proliferation of media, uh, people, uh, people in America, we, we talk more and more alike. There used to be a time uh, where uh, I could hear somebody talking and I could tell you what part of the state of North Carolina they were from. And if I listened to them long enough, I might even be able to tell you what county they were from, Right. So, so here they are. There's, there's something very distinctive and very unusual that's going on here, right? And so what God is doing here is, is, is these people are suddenly the, the, the division of language is being swept away. So God in his great power is seeing to it that all these people from all over the world who came to Jerusalem thinking they were going to celebrate Pentecost are hearing now about Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of all those Old Testament promises in, in, in the fact that God has sent his son, lived his life, died a, 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 an atoning death for them, and has risen again and has ascended into heaven. And now he has sent his spirit upon them. And everything about everything these people have ever heard has been overturned. Now, one of the things you have to think about this is I've, I've thought about this a lot. So what might it have been like, right? There's 120 Christians. At the end of the day, there are 3,000. Let's say you're a pious proselyte from Rome. 
And, and, and your family said, you know what? We want you to go and represent us as a God-fearer, as someone who's faithful to the law of Moses. We want you to go to Jerusalem, and we want you to go and participate in the festival of Pentecost. And so you go and you do that. And then you come home, and you say, hey, let me tell you, I'm a follower of Jesus. I bet they wish they'd never sent them. You see how disruptive this would have been? How crazy this would have been? I mean, you, it's like, it's like we sent you to summer camp and you came back like a Christian. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> what? We just sent you to have fun at Jerusalem at Pentecost and you came back talking to us about what happened and that, that you heard the work of God and that you saw the Spirit of God manifest and now you are a follower of Jesus? This is disrupted. This is messed up. We don't like this, right? So so one of the things that you have to see here is, is that, that God's mission here, that the work that he's doing is overturning things and disrupting things and changing things and exploding in growth, right? So Babel is reversed. Rebellion is overwhelmed by the work of Christ. The fact is, what we read in Genesis 11 is the reason why there are different languages is because people decided to take upon themselves uh, actually the role of God, that they could make they could make a way to God, they could get there on their own, they could build a tower all the way up to heaven, and they did not need the atoning work of God, they didn't need their sin to be dealt with to be able to do that. Jesus Christ took upon himself the fire of judgment there on the cross so that now uh, that thing that came as a result, that division that came as a result of our rebellion suddenly is reversed. And here we are now uh, able universally to affirm one thing that's true and that that is Jesus is Lord, right? So the division of language uh, is removed once and for all. What a powerful thing that is for us uh, for us to think about. But not only that, just look at how crazy it is that the Lord is doing this thing. Now, I want to be clear about something. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, you probably think most often about the role of the Holy Spirit in your life to comfort you. Right? To remind you that you're a child of God. That's in the Bible. That's a good thing. You probably think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to, that there's some sense in which he guides you, some sense in which he directs you, some sense in which he helps bring to mind you the, the truth of the scripture, and that's good. But the Spirit comes at Pentecost not to comfort, but to empower the church for gospel witness, to bear witness to Jesus Christ, right? And so, so what's happening here is that the disciples are seeing uh, and hearing that, you know, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, right? And so they're actually seeing him uh, come and extending that ministry now in powerful and profound ways through them so that these men who, who were hiding, who were afraid, now stand up boldly, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to proclaim uh, the grace of God. 
And note here that what happens is the way Jesus demonstrates to them that this, this power is there and that this work is there is that they have these tongues of fire that come and uh, descend upon them. Now, it's an interesting thing. If you read in the Gospels about uh, uh, the, the role of fire, we know that John the Baptist said that Jesus would come and baptize with fire, right? Uh, but we also know uh, that the disciples had a particular view of fire. Next, next slide. In Luke chapter 9, as they're going to Jerusalem, Jesus sent messengers on ahead who went into a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But the people there refused to welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? (laughs) So Jesus, in his grace and mercy, sends fire on his church. Right? Not to consume them but to empower them, right? So that the fire that's being talked about there, the, that this, this thing that heats and lights is, is a thing that is not there to punish or not there to destroy, but is to encourage and empower the witness of the church before people who don't know, people who've never heard, people who have no understanding of the gospel at all, right? So what are we what are we to make of all this? Well, the first thing that you need to see about this is is that Jesus keeps all his promises, right? Imagine those 10 days as the disciples are waiting for something to happen. Jesus said he would send his spirit. When's it going to happen, right? Uh, we know, next slide please, Brian, that, that Jesus has said you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So here it is in a very visible and profound and powerful way. Jesus has kept his promise. Listen, listen. If Jesus Christ makes a promise to you in the scripture, nothing keeps him from keeping that promise. If it's a promise of Jesus to you, it will be kept. Secondly, The promise, even from the Old Testament, from the prophet Joel, that the spirit is for every one of God's people. Right. So so we read here that uh, um, uh, uh, something that that's that's pretty powerful about this. In the last days, it shall be God. It shall be. God declares, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, on your sons and your daughters. They shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants, and my female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. You see, one of the things that you have to see about that is, is that now suddenly that the spirit of God, the ministry of God, the power of God to bear witness and to prophesy to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is available to everyone. It is for everyone. Because in the Old Testament, it's a little unclear about the ministry of the spirit and how how it works, right? And and who was filled with the Spirit and who wasn't? I mean, one of my favorite and then one of the craziest places to see the work of the Spirit is in the book of Judges. Samson, you know, the long-haired, strong guy, right? The, the scriptures say he gets filled with the Spirit and then he ministers with the jawbone of a donkey. <laughs> killing, killing, you know, all of these Philistines, right? Wow, that's that's unusual. I tend to think of the ministry of the Spirit as quieter, less violent than that, right? But but the fact of the matter is what we see here now is that the, the ministry of the Spirit of God is for everyone. And I want to be clear about this, okay? Every single person who's in Jesus Christ today 
has the Spirit of God in them. And if that's true, then that means that some person who lives thousands of miles away does not speak your language, does not eat your food, does not share your view of the world, is, does not have your education, your credentials, any of those things, that you have more in common with that person because you both are indwelt by the Spirit of God than your twin who lives next door to you in the same kind of neighborhood, in the same kind of house, with the same kind of uh, uh, view of life, or, or, well, maybe the same kind of view of life, that you, you think you look like them, you talk like them, you act like them. Oh, we have a lot in common with them. The fact of the matter is you may have some things in common with them, but in the eternal perspective of God, you have more in common with this person who lives thousands of miles away because that's what uh, the, the Spirit of God uh that's that's what he does by empowering every one of us. And so at, at Pentecost, God validated the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus by sending his spirit uh, in this way. So that what we can see about Pentecost is, is it is confirmation that Jesus is indeed risen and reigning. The, the gift of the spirit confirms everything that's true about Jesus to us. One last thing. One of the things that you have to see about the Spirit of God, that, that his work here uh, is ongoing and that the work of Jesus Christ, the mission of Jesus Christ is ongoing through his Spirit and his people. Jesus said he came to, to seek and to save that which was lost. Every one of you, every one of you at some point was lost. Lost does not mean clueless. Lost does not mean you don't know where you are. Lost means you're as good as dead. The lost sheep is dead unless he gets uh, uh, retrieved by the shepherd. Do you remember what that was like? To walk through life, to act like you're alive, but you're dead. But now by the ministry of the gospel, the grace of the, our, the, the Lord Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, you who are dead are now fully alive. But the second thing that this means, and this is the thing that's most challenging to me in this is, you and I are surrounded by people who are dead. They look alive. They act like they're alive, but they're dead. They're lost, lost, not just clueless. You know, we can kind of laugh that off, but they're dead. And here's the thing that's so profound about that. Jesus has given you his life-giving spirit so that you can bear witness to that which is dead where life is. He did it that day. He took 120 sinners, fearful, broken people, and drew to himself, raised from deadness to life, 3,000. Did you know you're surrounded by dead people? (laughs) And you too were once like that. But thanks be to God and his mercy, 
by his spirit, the work of Jesus Christ and his gospel has made you alive. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Uh, Let's use this prayer of confession that's in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Father in heaven, We confess that in our thoughts, words, and deeds, we have sinned and grieved your Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Rather than be led by you, we have followed the spirit of our own age into self-reliance and self-worship. We have acted as if the cross of Christ had no power to reconcile us to God. We have lived as if there was no spirit of God convicting, sanctifying, encouraging, and helping us. Forgive us, good Lord, and give us grace that we might eagerly forsake our self-directed paths and keep in step with your spirit. Amen. Believer, hear these words of encouragement. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so the scriptures tell us.